0: Ain't gonna let nobody turn me around, turn me around, turn me around. Ain't gonna let nobody turn me around. I'm gonna keep on walking, keep on talking, marching down to freedom land.
1: Welcome to St James, a Scottish Episcopal Church in Leith, Edinburgh. This podcast features edited highlights from our Palm Sunday service held on April the 10th, 2022. To find out how to join us and for more general information, please go to www.stjamesleith.org.uk.
0: Welcome
2: to our Palm Sunday service. You can see the seats have been slightly arranged because we wanted to have a a sort of route uh, down. Um, as Suzanne was saying, uh, there's some, some of the music protest songs. What I'd like to do this Easter, and I think it's really important with the world events that are happening with COVID, the Ukraine war, that we relate the Easter story to these events because so often the Easter story is all about our personal salvation and and, uh, that's important, but it's much bigger than that. It really is, um, has something to say about the salvation of the world and throughout history. So you can see that on your palm crosses you have uh, a sunflower, which uh, as you know, Um, is the national emblem of Ukraine. Um, Sunflowers are amazing things because they look towards the light. But one thing I didn't know is that when there is no light, they turn to each other. They turn around and face each other in order to gain light, which I think is a beautiful uh, metaphor for not only church or uh, for community. But really, the sunflower, I want to represent Uh, not Mm -hmm. just Ukraine, but any oppressed group, any group that is under a domination system of any kind of empire, because we're gonna look at how Palm Sunday is relevant uh, to that. So I wanted to just set the context, um, because I think Palm Sunday just set the context, the social and political context for Holy Week. And that's why um, it's important uh, to look at it. Um, as you know, uh, we've made a decision that uh, if you'd like, when you're seated, you can take your masks off. That's your own personal decision. But we do ask that if you are standing and at some point you will be asked to come up for communion, or if you're moving around, that you put your masks on, but it is up to your own personal um, discretion, uh, of course. So we also welcome uh, those at home and and it's lovely to see so many people here this morning. So if we can just start our service in the usual way, uh, where the singing bowl will be rung by Suzanne and I'll light a candle and invite those people at home to light their their candle as well so that we're linking what's happening here uh, in the building, church in the building to all the different Churches that are going around in different people's homes. Dear friends in Christ, during Lent we have been preparing by works of love and self sacrifice for the celebration of our Saviour's death and resurrection. Today we come together to begin this solemn celebration in union with the Church throughout the world. Christ enters his own city to complete his work, to suffer, to die, and to rise again. Let us go with him in faith and love so that united with him in his sufferings, we may share the risen life. God our Saviour, whose son Jesus Christ entered Jerusalem as Messiah to suffer and die Let these palms be for us signs of his victory and grant that we who bear them in his name may follow him in the way that leads to eternal life, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, now and forever, amen. Confession. Daring to open to God each other and ourselves, we offer in silence our holy imperfection and acknowledge our part in the pain of the world. So please, would you stand for the psalm? If you, do have, if you have brought any foliage, I don't know if you have, but uh, during the psalm, please feel free to lay it down on either side uh, of the carpets. Uh, Suzanne will lead us in the singing, and I, I shall say the words. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. This is the Lord's doing, it is marvellous in our eyes. Save us, we beseech you, O Lord. O Lord, we beseech you, give us success. is God and he has given us light. Bind the festal processions with branches up to the horns of the altar. O give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever.
3: Um, Our first reading is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God.
4: The of Luke. After he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village ahead of you and as you enter it, you will find there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it, as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks upon the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen saying, blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. This is the gospel, good news for all. Praise to you, O Christ.
2: Let us pray. Loving God, I ask that you would Open our hearts and minds to a prophetic imagination. Amen. So this morning, um, I'm using two books uh, for the content of this sermon. One is The the Last Week, which talks about Easter by Marcus Borg and uh, Dominic Crossan. If you get a chance, it really is... um, a really good book and the other is uh, quite a well-known book, quite an old one that many of you might know, is The Prophetic Imagination by Walter uh, Brueggemann. I'll leave them at the back if you want to sort of photocopy um, uh, and read them. As I said at the the beginning, uh, in my my tradition, um, you never have a sermon on Palm Sunday, you actually have a dramatic reading of The Passion, so it's the first chance I've had a chance to actually uh, do a sermon but I think it is important because as I said um, I think we've managed to domesticate uh, the gospel to such an extent and make it such a personal thing which is important uh, the personal element is important but it's much much bigger and there are political um, imp- implications and implications for the world and history and um, Jesus uh, didn't just come to redeem us individually but the whole world. So I want you to imagine a warm spring day in first century Jerusalem at the beginning of Passover, which is the most sacred week of the Jewish year. And the significance of time and place cannot be overplayed. Jerusalem was where the Jewish temple resided and it was at the very heart, still is, of the Jewish faith and identity and nationhood. So during Passover, people would remember the liberation of the Israelites by Moses from slavery and oppression under Pharaoh and the Egyptians. That's a sort of seminal uh, story. So murmurings of a new Messiah uh, coming to liberate them from the oppression of the Roman Empire would abound. Hence Jerusalem would be a powder keg ready to explode at every Passover. So what the Romans did is that they would bring over a garrison of soldiers from Caesarea, where they resided, to ensure that order was kept and that a chance of any insurrection was minimised. And into this highly charged atmosphere, in the year of our gospel, there would be two processions. And one procession would be coming from the west of the city in what would be a glorious display of imperial strength, designed to show who was in control, to instill fear, and to ensure there was no unrest at this volatile time of year. And it's a procession that's gone on throughout history. The Nuremberg rallies, the ones going on in North Korea. Uh, Putin, I think, recently put, put one on. Um, in Russia. And imagine, if you will, from the picture, Pilate, the Roman governor, the head of this imperial display of power, maybe on a white horse, and he'd be followed by cavalry on horses, foot soldiers, leather, armor, helmets, weapons, banners, golden eagles, um, all sort of glinting in the sunlight, all representing a domination system that relied on political oppression, economic exploitation, and psychological fear. Remember, the the cross was only for those people that were against the Roman Empire. It was a political uh, form of death. It wasn't for the common criminal. So Jesus died a political death. However, this display also represented an imperial theology, an ideology, which stated that emperors were sons of God, the light of the world, the Lord and savior of the world, the person who would bring Pax Romana, bring peace on earth. Now all those titles, you can immediately go back to Jesus' birth narrative. They were all the names the gospel writers gave to Jesus and again they were, they were aware of what they were doing. Right at Jesus birth there was this confrontation between empire and Jesus. So this imperial uh, theology gave legitimization to Roman rule and every empire has some, somehow legitimized uh, what they do. The British did it very well. We legitimized it, we, we brought religion in uh, to legitimize what uh, was oppression and then the other procession which uh, is here was from the other side of jerusalem from the east which was a peasant procession that had journeyed from galilee some hundred miles to the north led by jesus who rides on a donkey down from the mount of olives cheered by his followers This procession represented an alternative vision of love, non-violence, freedom and justice. Now the next slide, I'm not sure you'll see, yes you can see. see what it says. And it represented what is a prophetic vision that Walter Brueggemann describes as a prophetic imagination. And this prophetic imagination starts in the Bible with Moses and is continued throughout. It's one of the threads that's continued throughout the Old Testament by the prophets, calling on and imagining a different future, evoking an alternative consciousness and way of seeing which is different from the consciousness and way of seeing of the dominant culture around. Moses' mission was to create a radical break from the imperial reality of Pharaoh by confronting the politics of oppression and exploitation and replacing it with a new vision of society based on the politics of compassion and justice. And it's summed up in many areas in the Bible, but I I often go to Micah 4, and I know I have done before, which says, the law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem nations will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks nation will not take up sword against nation nor will they train for war anymore everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree and no one will make them afraid for the almighty has spoken so micah is imagining a new society based on justice prosperity and security. Justice, because everyone will have their own land and enough to live on without exploitation from landlords. Prosperity, because vines and figs represent more than subsistence, survival, and security, because they will not have to live in a state of constant fear. And Jesus is clearly following this Old Testament prophetic tradition through a planned, choreographed, provocative deliberate uh, act deliberately designed to challenge and counter the Roman display of power. It is Jesus at his most subversive, mischievous and courageous. So we have literally two worlds colliding towards us, two visions, two processions of how the world should be. The kingdom of God coming face to face with the kingdom of empire. And these two processions have been marching towards each other throughout history. Perhaps symbolised, if you remember, most powerfully by the tank man. I think we've got a few images. The tank man there and the tanks. Him just standing literally in direct opposition to military might and empire. That's really just a replication of what Jesus is doing. And if we move on, uh, I mean, I can give numerous numerous examples, but I just want to show that this has been going on through history. The next one is the mothers of the disappeared uh, in Chile, fighting for justice and fearlessly confronting the military junta of Pinochet in Santiago. And many of them... Uh, many Chilean refugees came to Sheffield uh, and during this time and told us their stories. We also have Gandhi's salt march in defiance of British rule and many people think this was the, the key point at which British rule crumbled and Gandhi used Jesus as his model. This Palm Sunday march was what inspired Gandhi to do that we move on Uh, the civil rights activist Martin Luther King there are a number of uh, marches Selma to Montgomery a a number of ones that he choreographed in order to uh, bring liberty uh, to black people in America and more recently we have uh, black lives matter people marching taking the streets We have the Me Too uh, movement, which is uh, confronting years of injustice over harassment and violence towards women, and we have uh, COP26 as an example of people marching to fight for uh, the survival of our planet. And of course, recently uh, there have been demonstrations throughout the country over Ukraine. Palm Sunday, I think, asked us a very, very straightforward uh, question. Which profes- procession are we in? Which journey are we on? Are we in a procession which supports and colludes with oppression, injustice and exploitation, characterised by fear, military might, curtailed freedom of speech, increased inequality and fake news through the control of media? Or are we in a procession that courageously confronts injustice, oppression, and exploitation, and is characterized by freedom, justice, truth, compassion, and non-violence? And we might sit smugly and and say to ourselves, well, of course we're not in a a procession of oppression, injustice, and exploitation. But as Desmond Tutu said, a modern-day prophet so eloquently puts it, If you are neutral in situations of injustice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor. If an elephant has its foot on the tail of a mouse and you say that you are neutral, the mouse will not appreciate your neutrality. And Martin Luther King, similarly, spent a lifetime imploring people to join the procession of palms. And he goes further. I mean, I could quote 30, 40 quotes from Martin Luther King, but I'll keep it to about five here. The ultimate tragedy is not the oppression and cruelty by bad people, but the silence over that by good people. Goes on to say, those who passively accept evil are as much involved in it as those who perpetrate it. Those who accept evil without protesting against it are really cooperating with it. He says our lives begin to end the day we become silent about the things that matter. Change does not roll in on the wheels of inevitability but come through continuous struggle. Human progress is neither automatic nor inevitable. Every step towards the goal of justice requires sacrifice, suffering and struggle the tireless exertions and passionate concern of dedicated individuals. And finally, freedom is never voluntarily given by the oppressor, it must be demanded by the oppressed. In other words, if we sit back and do nothing, we are colluding with the oppressor, with the domination system, and sitting on the fence is not an option. So Palm Sunday demonstrates that we do not worship a comfortable God of empire, so fat and well-fed as to be neutral and inattentive to the sufferings of the needs of people. A God who does not flinch from taking sides, who is attentive to the cries of the people. And we too are called to be not so fat and well-fed as to be neutral and inattentive to the sufferings of people, and not to flinch from taking sides, but be attentive to the cries of the people. And I think history tells us this new vision is unlikely to come from the top, but from the bottom, from the grassroots. And I believe it will depend on how many of us join this procession led by a man on a donkey, calling for a world which is structured in such a way that there is justice where all have agency and enough to live on, prosperity where all have more than just subsistence survival, and security where all can live without fear. In other words, a world of compassion, peace and distributive justice where all have enough. A world where we cherish our planet and learn to live sustainably. A quote from Martin Luther King. I believe that unarmed truth and unconditional love will have the final word in reality. That is why temporarily defeated, it is stronger than evil triumphant. Amen.
1: Shall we pray? This is a cartoon by Chris Riddell Um, and that little candle says hope. So when I say the light shines in the darkness, could you say, and the darkness cannot put it out. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot put it out. God has chosen the weak things to confound the strong. He chose a foal, a young, untrained horse to carry him. And perhaps we can imagine ourselves in that story. Some of us are young, some of us are old donkeys but we're all called upon to, to march in some way. And we pray that we would be able to be a little more than we were yesterday. We may feel like we are the stones standing on the sidelines watching people in the crowd who didn't know which, which side to be on And in all of us, there's a bit of a Pharisee, embarrassed, a little bit disapproving. So we pray that we might hear the call, know that we are needed, that the Lord has need of us, that our light can shine because the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot put it out. The Pharisees always insist that the truth should be suppressed, that the voices of justice should not be heard. But we affirm our faith that the truth will out, that the one who said he was the truth will be victorious. We affirm our faith that a lie cannot live for long because it has no root and it must be sustained by more lies which in their turn have no roots. We affirm our faith that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot put it out. At this time when truth seems to have fallen in the street, we pray that the authorities in all countries would tell the truth. And we lift our inner voices in praise of the truth, even when that truth seems weak, or unimportant in the great scheme of things, or even when that truth is going to be costly to us. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot put it out. We pray to the one who said that the mighty would be cast down from their seats. We pray to the one who was the light that burned in the tomb, a tomb which could not contain the light. We know that it cannot be held back just as the spring cannot be held back. And As we look around, we see a spring is coming and this gives us hope because the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot put it out. We pray that tyrants would fall and the truth would be revealed to the people everywhere, the people who are being lied to. We trust in the truth. And we pray today for people everywhere who are going through dark times, under oppression, times of war, injustice. For those in our midst who are experiencing sickness, unemployment, mounting debt, worry, fear for the future. We pray for our children. We pray for our old people. We pray for one another. And most of all, we trust, we hope, because the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot put it out, amen.
2: blessing for all those in the building and those at home. May God bless you with restless discomfort about easy answers, half truths, and superficial relationships, so that you may seek truth boldly and love deep within your heart. And may God bless you with holy anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people, so that you may work tirelessly for justice, freedom and peace among all people. And may God bless you with the gift of tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, starvation, or the loss of all that they cherish, so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and transform their pain into joy. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can really make a difference in this world, so that you are able, with God's grace, to do what others claim cannot be done. And the blessing of God, the Supreme Majesty, and our Creator, Jesus Christ, incarnate Word, who is our brother and saviour, and the Holy Spirit, our advocate and guide, be with you and remain with you this day and evermore. Amen.